at how truly he does. He is God. He changes everything always. This morning we're going to look at that very thought. We're going to start in verse number 1 of John chapter 20, and we're going to read all the way through verse number 11. Would you stand with me out of respect to the reading of the Word of God one last time here this morning, and we'll enjoy hearing what God has for us today. The Bible tells us, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken, taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooped down, and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not that the... Uh, me, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. Father, what a wonderful and powerful story we read. God, as we have read about how your son victoriously rose again, God, I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would recall our minds to the power of the resurrection of Christ. God, as we heard just a moment ago, you are God alone. There's no one like you. You are victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Thank you so much for being our powerful God. Now help us this morning. As we lift up Christ, I pray that you would give me wisdom. I pray that you would empower your word. Use it, I pray, to help your people. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Years ago, my wife and I began a journey trying to get to a destination. As we tried to get to this destination, we looked for a place in which we uh, were supposed to be, and we got to the address, we got to the place in which we were supposed to be. We could see it across the way, but we could not figure out how to get there. We could not figure out how to get access to that place. We decided to take a trip kind of around that property to see if we could find out how or how to access that place in which we were looking to try to find. And so we did. We drove around the perimeter of what seemed to be the property, but we could not, for the life of us, figure out how to get access to it. And every road that we took seemingly took us right back to the same spot that we started from, looking out in distance, trying to find this place, or trying to find how do we get access to this place, but not ever able to finally figure it out for a long time we just wondered and thought i thought this question how did we get here 
How did we get to where we are right now? It seemed like every road we turned took us right back here. How did we get here? That question's been asked many, many times. I've heard it many, many times over this past year. And this pandemic and all these things that have gone on over the last 12 months, often I've heard that statement, how did we get here? How did we get to where we are today? It seems almost surreal sometimes that a year (laughs) we're celebrating the two or three week lockdown. (laughs) And yet we ask ourselves often, how did we get to where we are today? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible teaches us that God is a God of the beginning in the end. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, and the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. God made heaven or God made heaven and earth pure and clean. Could you imagine what it would be like to be in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve enjoyed the bounties of what God has provided in a pure place without sin, without any evil, with truly a clean and a good place in every way? There was no thorns. There was no hard ground. The fruit of the tree was the meat for all animals and man alike. Could you imagine watching the lamb and the lion play together in the Garden of Eden? Could you imagine the, gar- uh, the dragons playing with the, with the fallow deer, yea, in that same Garden of Eden? Could you imagine the dinosaurs grazing with the lowly animals all, yea, in the same garden. Could you imagine the incredible goodness of a pure and a clean place? And that's what Adam and Eve enjoyed. They enjoyed a place full of purity and of cleanness. There was no sin to worry about. There was no wrongdoing. There was no evil. Everything and everyone was pure and holy. Oh, what a beautiful and wonderful place. What a place in which we often look to and say, oh, how wonderful it would be to enjoy that today. We deal with so many things today, and yet Adam and Eve dealt with a beautiful garden. The wonderful splendors of walking with God in the cool of the evenings. 
Could he imagine the majesty, the purity, the cleanness? One day, everything will be made new. One day, everything will once again be restored. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse number 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and god himself shall be with them and be their god and god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God will one day restore everything to be new, to be clean, to be pure. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more parting. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sickness or pain. All wrongs will truly be made right. It'll be a holy and a beautiful place walking with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It will never end. It will never cease. It'll truly be a time of pure and clean holiness with God. What a wonderful and an awesome place we imagine that to be. Oh, how incredible that will be to see the new heaven, the new earth, and all splendors of the glory of the holiness and the purity of god bestowed in every area bestowed in all things once again the lamb will lie with the lion once again the predator will eat the same meat of the tree that yea the flocks of the field will say i will likewise partake in what a wonderful and a beautiful place a place in which we could look and say that is pure that is very very good But we kind of stand in the middle, do we not? We look on one end at the beginning. A pure place. A pure garden. A pure relationship with God and man. And now we look on the other end of the spectrum. We look at the other end of time. In which everything is once again restored. All things made new. All things made pure. But where are we? We're not there. We're not in a new heaven and a new earth. We're not in the Garden of Eden. Where are we? We're right in the middle. We're in between the two time frames. How did we get here? How did we get where we are today? How did we come to a point in which we are dealing with the circumstances that we are reeling from today? How is it that we are come to a point in which we are struggling with all the difficulties and problems in which we face personally and as a society today? 
that reason starts in the Garden of Eden. For you see, in the Garden of Eden, there was a man named Adam. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. The Bible teaches us that because of Adam, sin entered in. You see, he chose to sin. The Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam chose to sin. He chose to do wrong. He chose to go into sin. He chose to do that which was not right. And because of that, he brought sin into the world. He brought sin into mankind. Unholiness. Unrighteousness. He brought in all that we see today. And that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. The Bible says, And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, no one had to teach us how to sin. No one ever had to teach us how to lie to our parents. We figure that out very well. No one ever had to teach us how to disobey mom or dad. We figure that out instinctively. Why? Because we have a nature of sin. And that sin nature has been passed down from father to child from every generation. I can blame my sin problems on my father, amen? (laughs) So can you, and so can every generation. All the way back to Adam. Because of his sin, it led us to have a sin nature. The Bible tells us that this has grown worse and worse. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul, 2,000 years ago, said, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible teaches us that each generation, each uh, each time frame is going to wax worse and worse, and we're seeing that today. We are seeing the fruit and the uh, uh, fulfillment of prophecy happen uh, that happened 2,000 years ago through God's man Paul. Oh, how sad and how struggling it is to deal with this situation at this time. We deal with sin. It's everywhere. It's in all of us today. I don't know about you, but every day I struggle with some sin. Your sin may be different than mine. Like, and vice versa. All of us struggle with areas. All of us struggle with areas of sin. We're here. We're dealing with sin. But what can be done about this? What's the solution? Is it just simply a lost cause? Is it simply a time in which there's nothing more that can be done? Is mankind just doomed and will only hear the foretelling of the new heaven and new earth and no one will ever experience that? Is there a purpose to all these things? These are some heavy and, heavy and deep questions in which the Word of God clearly answers 
through a redemption. You see, God began, He made all things new, He created everything. But man fell. And because of the fall and the brokenness of mankind, God chose to redeem. I cannot redeem myself, nor can you redeem yourself. It required a sacrifice. It required something that you and I cannot do, that you and I cannot ever pay for. No one ever could, and no one ever would, except for God. You see, one who, one who could redeem one who could bring hope of restoration to make all things new, had to be holy, he had to be pure, he had to be the one that could bring redemption's plan. What did redemption's plan start with? It started all the way back in Luke chapter 1. Look at it if you would with me. In Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, notice what the Bible says. And the sixth month, the angel, of, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, uh, said unto her excuse me, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God himself shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seen, I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God himself was placed into the womb of a virgin. You see, it had to be the womb of a virgin because man passes down the blood to the next generation. God had to put His Son in the womb of a virgin because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would not have the blood of man, but rather the blood of God the Father. And that is so vital, that is why it has enabled him to live a perfect life in a sinful world. You see, God would send his son, God would send his son in a womb of a virgin named Mary to be born of a virgin untainted from the sin nature that you and I deal with. He would be the one that would be tempted and yet without sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, I love what it says here. We have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ would be tempted in every area in which we are tempted. Everything. 
every sin in which we try to struggle with, every sin that Satan brings to our, uh, uh, to our desires and to our temptation, every sin that would beguile us or try to deceive us, Jesus Christ was tempted in all points. Not one sin that man has ever, ex- uh, that man has ever uh, resisted or tried to resist or has been tempted with did God not face. Jesus Christ faced every temptation. He faced the temptation to taste of that which he ought not to taste. He, taste, uh, he understood what it was like to be tempted to look a direction he ought not to look. He understood what it was like to state something that he should not, uh, that he should not state. He understood the temptation to sin. He understood what it was like to suffer the sinfulness around. And yet, the holy Jesus Christ would resist and would not go into sin. He would choose to live a pure and a clean and a holy, sinless life in this world that's full of sin and strife sinful men would look at jesus christ and they would reject him jesus christ would not fall prey to that same power and corruption that same lust of the flesh and pride of life that they dealt with jesus stated that he was god that didn't fit in their box that they had put god in They anticipated God being a certain way, God doing a certain thing. And Jesus Christ, when He was on this earth, truly did not live like the Pharisees thought He should. He did not live like the scribes or the Sadducees thought He would. He was God. He broke out of the box in which they thought He would live. He was God alone, and truly as God alone, He lived that pure and clean, holy life perfectly in the will of God. These men envied and became jealous of what God was doing. And so they made a plan. A plan to reject Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 27, in verse number 20, we see but the chief priests and elders persuaded a multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Notice this question very carefully. Why? What evil hath he done? Even the governor, after examining Jesus Christ, could not find fault. Could not find a reason to crucify him, to sentence him to death. He was a just man. He would call him innocent in just a moment. What evil hath he done? And yet, what did they do? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. 
Jesus Christ was not just simply any other individual with a sin nature. He was sinless God. He was holy God. And as holy God, he was about to pay. He was about to lay down his life for us. And he, yea, was willing to, to, uh, 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 to be yielded to the will of his Father to pay for redemption's plan. See to it, the governor stated. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Jesus Christ would then be beaten. He'd be whipped with a cat of nine tails, scourged 39 times. His body would be ripped to pieces unrecognizable as a man. His flesh would hang off of him like a tattered garment. Blood flowing freely. A crown of thorns would be pushed deeply upon his brow. Piercing into his eye sockets, piercing deeply into his, into his head. He'd be mocked and ridiculed. They'd put a robe of purple signifying deity on him. Mock him in false worship. Strip him of that very robe. And begin to spit and mock and ridicule him. Buffeting him even upon that crown of thorns that was upon his head. His beard would be plucked off of his face. And he, as the Lamb of God, would be given a cross. And he would be forced to drag that cross through Jerusalem streets to the hill called Golgotha or Calvary. His arms would be outstretched, and the nails would be driven into his hands and into his feet. That cross then would be lifted up and thrown down into that hole dug for that mounting of that cross. Some think that this very moment of which the sudden jolt of dropping of the cross into the hole prepared for it was the blow that dealt what Psalm Uh, what the book of Psalms states when his bones were out of point or all out dislocated, none broken but all out of joint. The Bible says that he could look at his bones, they would stare at him. He would be beaten. He would be reviled. He would be hung as a spectacle. The Bible teaches us in verse number 39, of Matthew 27, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross And we will believe him. He trusted in God. 
Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Jesus Christ, telling the truth of who he was, will be rejected of sinful men. He would be crucified. And he was willing to lay down his life. He would be willing to shed his blood. He'd be willing to die for you and me. What incredible love this bestows. That holy God would die for unholy man. Sinless God would die for sinful man. Oh, how powerful the statement that is. That God himself would die for you and me. What love. What incredible sacrifice God himself paid for us. He was willing to become sin. Who knew no sin. So we might be made the righteousness of God what incredible love it is that Jesus Christ paid for you and me Jesus stated in John chapter 10 therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life but the Bible doesn't stop there and thank God it doesn't stop there you see if God only had the power were to lay down his life but not take it again he would not be fully god for you see he is the life he is creator god he created life and if he could not take his life again he would not be fully god but he was willing to lay down his life for you and me he was willing to allow allow his life his death his blood to be the payment for our sins he was willing to pay the price for you and me but i'm thankful this morning that just as he said i lay down my life he also stated that i might take it again i'm thankful that as he laid down his life he did so knowing death could not hold him sin had no victory over him the grave could not contain him he would rise again and we read that in luke chapter 24 luke chapter 24 verse number one the bible says now upon the first day of the week very early in the morning they came unto the sepulchre bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre and they entered in and found not the body of Jesus, a body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. You see, God laid down His life, but He took it up again. He lives today. He's alive and well today. That grave had no opportunity to hold Him. Satan could not keep Jesus in that grave. He rose bodily from the grave. 
He lives today. He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father today. What an incredible thing it is that Jesus Christ lives today. He is the redemption plan. He is the price that was paid. You can't pay for that price. I can't pay for that price. It required sinlessness. All of us have sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I cannot redeem myself. This church cannot redeem you. Baptismal waters have no saving power. But Jesus Christ is the savior he is the one that has the power to save because he is god he laid down his life as the sacrifice and he rose again victoriously on that third day and we celebrate that risen savior this morning he is alive and well he lives today and thank god jesus christ is going to restore all things jesus christ is going to make all things new We looked at it a moment ago. Let's look back at it in Revelation chapter 21, please. The Bible says in verse number 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? It's defined, the next phrase. The beginning and the end. Jesus Christ was the beginning of all things pure, and He'll be the end of all things pure. He is the beginning and the end. He truly is God. He was God in eternity past, and He'll be God in eternity future. He is always the same. He is unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable God. I will give unto Him, notice what this verse says, that is a thirst. That's thirsty for salvation that's thirsty for wondering wondering what's going to happen now why are we here how did we get to this point i will give to him that is a thirst that is crying out how can i help this is there any hope is there any purpose jesus changes that he says i will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely oh thank god it's He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And notice this beautiful statement, and he shall be my son. When I come to know Christ as my Savior, I am welcomed into the family of God. God welcomes me as one of his children. I become part of God's family. The moment I partake of the water of life. Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If therefore, if any man be in Christ, his hope, his faith, his trust, his belief is in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When I get saved, God gives me his nature. Oh, I still have this flesh that I will deal with, and but yet one day it'll be transformed into a glorified body, and God promises to make all things new. All things one day will be restored. All, all things one day will be made right. All things will one day be as new as can be. All things will be, but it starts with Christ. Christ alone. Go back to John chapter 20 and we'll end here. May I take you to the scene that John relays. Mary Magdalene is standing outside the tomb weeping. 
not knowing where Jesus is. Look at verse number 11. But Mary stood without, the se- without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see a two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the, uh, at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. We'll stop there for just a moment. Mary Magdalene loved Christ. Her life had been changed by Christ. She believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But I believe as we look at John chapter 20, we see that final piece of the puzzle click, if we could say it that way. That final moment in which she is welcomed to the family of God about to take place. For see, she heard those words that Jesus Christ was going to be in the grave for three days and three nights and rise again. She heard the testimony, but yet she did not fully believe. She was at the grave expecting Jesus after three days. She was expecting to see his body. She was expecting to anoint his body with spice, not anticipating an empty tomb. And yet, the empty tomb was before her. Tears began to flood her eyes as she began to reel. Her mind began to ponder, what, do, what happens now? What, what's become with Jesus, the Messiah? What do we do now? Jesus lovingly comes behind, talks with her. She doesn't even recognize Jesus because of her vision that's blurred through tears and through weeping and through this trauma in her life. And notice what happens. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. I love this. Jesus, God himself, called called her by name. He approached her and said, I'm speaking to you. Thank God he knows my name. He knows your name. There's not one individual on this earth that he doesn't know by name. I'm thankful as a five-year-old boy Jesus called out my name, and I'm thankful as a five-year-old boy, I heard the voice of Jesus. I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart. I heard His words. I heard how I could become a child of God, and I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Thank God He called my name. When did He call your name? When was that moment in which He called out, and you said, I believe, Jesus Christ, you are God. I believe you are Savior. I believe you are the one that could redeem me and take me to heaven oh what a wonderful moment when jesus calls our name 
Jesus called Mary's name, and notice what the Bible says. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. I believe at this very moment is when all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Jesus had changed her life, and now her eternity was, about, was changing. He was not just simply the Messiah, he was now her Savior. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, notice this, and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. You see, at this moment, when Jesus Christ became Mary's personal redeeming Savior, Jesus' Father became Mary's Father. Jesus' God became Mary's God. You see, suddenly she was welcomed into the family of God. She was no longer a stranger. She was no longer outside the family, as it were. She was now part of the family of God. She was a child of the King. She was truly a part of God's family. And God so wondrously saved and redeemed her Jesus was now her Redeemer. God was now her Father. She was now a part of the family of God. Those moments of weeping now turn to joy. Those moments of darkness now turn to day. Those brokenness was now moments of joy. Stu, can you undo the... Uh, or there's a remote in there. Turn on those TVs. Sorry to uh, pause that. We want you to be able to see. Good. Can you do it to both of them? Thank you very much. Technology, isn't it great? It's been on too long this morning. Say, I'm tired. I'm ready to go. It's been up since about 8.30 this morning. And uh, uh, I feel your pain, TV. Amen. <laughs> but what a blessing it is that God truly healed the broken heart of Mary. Mended. She became all things new. What an incredible, powerful statement that is. I love how John continues. Look at verse number 19. Then the same day at even, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Look at verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, Lord, or my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet but so they that are seen and yet have believed. The disciples had the privilege of being able to see personally not only the life of Christ, not only the death of Christ, not only the filled tomb, but they saw the empty tomb and the risen Savior. Doubting Thomas would call him. He said, I want to see to believe. 
He was able to handle the hands of Jesus, to see the scars in his feet, the wound in his side. He was able to see Jesus Christ. But Jesus ascended up to heaven. He's at the right hand of God right now. And the Bible teaches us that John says, Blessed are they that have not seen, but still believe. We're not going to see Jesus physically today unless God calls us home in death or he comes back in rapture. And that could happen before we're done here at this very moment. It's coming soon. But thank God we can see Jesus Christ through his very word. And as we see his word, we can choose to believe. John said in verse number 30, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. You see, John, who dearly loved Jesus Christ, implores all to believe. He says, I've seen Him. I touched him. I was with him. I heard the Sermon on the Mount. I saw him transfigured. I saw his death. I saw his burial. And I saw his resurrection. I saw it. And God's given these words so that you might believe. Because when we believe, something happens. Jesus changes everything in our life. Everything. All things are made new. Even our bodies one day will be glorified. All things. What an incredible thing it is that when we come to Jesus Christ as the one who was the Redeemer, we have hope of seeing all things new. It's a choice. It's a choice presented to you and I. John, in the book of Revelations, we read the first part of it just a few moments ago in chapter 21. But in contrast to all things new, he relays a warning if we choose to reject Jesus as Savior. If we choose to not believe. In Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8, he says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. God relays a powerful contrast in chapter 21. A contrast of new life, new heaven, new earth, all things new. Jesus changed everything. 
powerful thing that is. Then he contrasted to those who choose not to believe. And to that is eternal death. In a horrible place called the lake of fire. God warns us, choose Christ. Choose the Lord Jesus Himself. You see, we must choose to believe. I cannot force anyone to trust Christ as Savior. I'm presenting the good news this morning. We're presenting the victorious life that Christ so wonderfully gives. But it's ultimately up to you personally to choose Jesus. May I encourage you this morning to choose Jesus this morning. To choose to believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus is the Savior. Believe that if you choose Jesus as your personal Savior by faith, He will forgive you of all of your sins, bring you into His family, and change your eternal home to be with Him in heaven forever and ever. Paul states it this way in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God. That wonderful, powerful gift. What is that gift? I believe that's Jesus Christ. Salvation. It's a relationship with God. That wonderful gift of God is what? Eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It comes down to what will you do with Jesus? All things started pure. All things will end holy. Where we are right now is dealing with the fall of man. But God says, I've redeemed. I've given you redemption. I'm offering it to you like a gift. Now what? will you do with that gift? Rejecting it leads to death. Accepting it leads to life. May I encourage you this morning to choose Jesus, to become part of the family of God, and enjoy life with Him. He is the resurrection and the life.